hot flashes, vaginal dryness, painful sex, low libido, recurrent urinary tract infections, weight gain, insomnia, orgasm. What orgasm? Menopause is a very special time, and I'm betting you've not gotten a lot of information from your own doctor. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, a clinical professor of obstetrics and gynecology, the medical director of the Northwestern Medicine Center for Sexual Medicine and Menopause, a practicing gynecologist, best-selling author, and a nationally recognized menopause expert. My mantra has always been, if women are given good information, they'll make good choices. And I'm here to give you the inside information on all things menopause. Throughout history, women have adorned or altered their appearance to appear more attractive and desirable. We curl our hair. We color our hair. We blow our hair. We paint our fingernails and toenails. Some women lift their butts while others lift their faces. Some lift both. I'm not a fan of tattoos, but plenty of women are. And pretty much every woman wears some kind of jewelry around her neck, on her fingers, or dangling from her ears. Well, the genitals are no exception to this rule of adornment. Hair removal, piercings, tattoos, and yeah, even surgery are all things that many women choose to do in the interest of making their private parts more attractive. As a gynecologist, I can tell you firsthand, embellishment of the genitals is more common than you think. But you may want to consider the downside before you jump on board. So this is a two-parter. In this episode, I'm going to cover cosmetic things, including pubic hair removal, genital piercing, genital makeup, and genital tattoos. In part two, I'm going to cover procedures, including surgeries that some women choose to have to change or alter the appearance of their genitals. Perfumes, douches, and other so-called feminine hygiene products, I already covered that in episode 33, A Walk Down the Feminine Hygiene Aisle. So let's start with the most common thing women do to their genitals, a new hairstyle. A few years ago, the New York Times interviewed me about the purpose of pubic hair. They were writing an article about the pubic hair styles of celebrities, such as Lady Gaga and Cameron Diaz. Evidently, Lady Gaga's pubic hair was a matter of general public interest. Suddenly, I was getting calls from dozens of major media outlets who wanted to interview me about the nuances of pubic hair styles. So I just wanted you to know you're hearing this from a true pubic hair expert. From an evolutionary point of view, one function of pubic hair was to signal that the human being behind the hair was an adult capable of reproducing, as opposed to a child. Pubic hair also drew attention to the genitals. Evidently, it's not just the modern guy who needs a map and an arrow to ensure that he's heading in the right direction. But the main purpose of pubic hair was to keep the genitals warm. The obvious evolutionary advantage is that people with warm genitals were more likely to take their clothes off. Men were more likely to maintain an erection, even if the cave was very cold. But today we have central heating. So the biggest biologic benefit to pubic hair is that the natural oil in hair provides skin lubrication and decreases friction during intercourse. You can get some pretty nasty rug burn from rubbing if you're bare down there. Pubic hair also provides a cushion against your underwear or jeans. So what's normal? Well, left untouched, the pubic hair of most young women ranges in its thickness, texture, and degree of abundance. Some women have a sprinkling of scant fine hair, while others have coarse curly hair that not only covers the mons, but also creeps up the abdomen and down the thighs. All normal. Hormones influence hair growth, so it makes sense that as women age and hormones decline, pubic hair thins out. 
Also, it's not unusual for a woman in her 70s or 80s to have very little to no pubic hair. And yes, just like the hair on your head, genital hair can go gray, but weirdly, generally not at the same time. So variety is normal and changes throughout life are normal, but sudden loss of pubic hair can be an indication of illness and sudden excessive growth can be an indication of a hormonal abnormality. While all of this variety is normal, just like the hair on your head, there are trends in terms of what people think is attractive and desirable. Today, less is more. And not all, but many of the women I see alter their pubic hair in some way, whether it's just a trim or complete removal. But sparse pubic hair wasn't always the style. During the 15th century, abundant pubic hair was a sign not only of sexuality, but also good health. Someone with a Brazilian in 1450 hadn't just been to the beach, but more likely had a sexually transmitted disease. Syphilis was the STD du jour back then, and the treatment was mercury injections, which had the nasty side effect of making hair fall out. All of it. And then there was the pubic lice problem. If you were infested with pubic lice, the only option was to shave it all off. So if you're a prostitute in the year 1450, a bald vulva is really bad for business, which is why the Merkin was invented, a pubic hair wig that women pasted on to hide their vulvar baldness. Today, though, women who remove their hair generally choose to do so. Now, some women remove pubic hair for religious reasons. The modern trend of bear down there, though, became popular in the 1980s when porn stars started taking off more than their clothes. Many women also, though, say that they feel it's more hygienic, but it's not. The truth is that hair removal may increase the risk of some skin infections. In surgery, any shaving is done just minutes before the surgeon makes a skin incision, since it's been shown that shaving the day before surgery actually increases the chance of wound infection. A study released in 2013 suggested that the irritation from hair removal may be responsible for an increased vulnerability to acquiring vulvar molluscum contagiosum, a common sexually transmitted virus that causes a skin eruption. So, so much for it being more hygienic. It's not. Others say, though, that baldness increases sensation during sex, or they just simply prefer the way it looks. Pubic hair spilling out the size of a bathing suit is still pretty much considered a fashion faux pas. And yes, the 20 to 30-year-old crowd is far more likely than the 50-plus crowd to go bare down there. Most young women consider shaving vulvar hair to be no different than shaving the hair on their legs or their armpits. So if you find that your teenage daughter is shaving her pubic hair, don't assume that she's doing so because she's having sex. It truly may be because she considers it to be no different than shaving her legs. In a 2015 study, 95% of the male and female college students that were asked had removed their pubic hair in the previous four weeks. And that hair removal correlated with a more positive genital self-image. For whatever it's worth, most women over the age of 40 I see in the office are either au natural or somewhat shaped and trimmed. All right, enough about styles. I'm a gynecologist, so I'm going to focus on the medical aspects, starting with the fact that, again, there is no benefit to pubic hair removal as far as hygiene or vulvar health. But... If you choose to remove your pubes, this is what you need to know. A multi-million dollar industry has evolved around pubic hair removal, giving you no shortage of options. Waxing, shaving, 
electrolysis, clipping, sugaring, chemical depilatories, and laser removal are all at your disposal. With the exception of clipping, red bumps can result no matter what method you choose, particularly in black women. Professional waxing and electrolysis result in the least amount of irritation, allergy, or complications. But waxing is expensive, not to mention not every woman is enthusiastic about exposing her vulva and anus to someone who's not their gynecologist. And did I mention the pain? I mean, if someone rips hair off your vulva, it stands to reason that there's going to be some pain involved. A pre-wax martini is one strategy, but some women opt for a topical anesthetic. If you're so inclined, treat yourself to a tube of Emla cream, a combo of 2.5% lidocaine and 2.5% prilocaine. You apply it around 20 minutes pre-wax, or you can just be brave. In spite of what seems to be the proliferation of waxing salons on practically every corner, the overwhelming majority of women simply shave or trim their pubic hair. And post-hair removal, if you're not happy with the results, not to worry. Bosch Brazilian, misbehaved shave, kitty carpet is a reusable pubic toupee to the rescue. This is an actual product. I can't make this stuff up. It's available on Amazon in seven shapes and colors. Okay, Risk to hair removal beyond cold genitals and rug berm. A recipe in 1532 on how to remove pubic hair reads, boil together a solution of one pint of arsenic and an eighth a pint of quicklime. Go to a bath or a hot room and smear the medicine over the area. When the skin feels hot, wash quickly with hot water so the flesh doesn't come off. Yikes. While today's methods are safer than applying a concoction of arsenic, infections, burns, and cuts are not uncommon. Allergic reactions and ingrown hairs are also on the list of post-pubic hair removal problems. And accidents can happen. One of my patients, Emily, decided to wax her pubic hair the day before her son's bar mitzvah. For those of you who are not Jewish, Let me tell you that there is no tradition that requires the mother of the bar mitzvah boy to remove her pubic hair. Anyway, the wax was way too hot and Emily ended up with second degree burns on her vulva. She may well be the only mother of a bar mitzvah boy who attended her son's service wearing a skirt and no underpants. According to the Journal of Urology, self-inflicted cuts and infections from grooming pubic hair accounted for over 1,000 ER visits over a 10-year period of time. In a 2018 study of Muslim women who routinely moved their pubic hair, 75% self-reported complications. Most were minor, but 18% needed medical attention because of a hair removal complication. So, Here's my advice. If you choose to remove your pubic hair on your own, do it when you're sober and in a well-lit room. Clipping is your best bet. If you shave, an electric razor is generally less likely to result in nicks or cuts. If you go to a salon, make sure it's not the esthetician's first day. And before choosing a method of permanent hair removal, such as electrolysis, keep in mind that next year, full bush may be in style again, and you may be forced to invest in a modern day Merkin. And finally, no, your gynecologist doesn't care and has no expectation that you're going to remove your hair prior to an exam. Moving on, hair removal is not the only thing people do to their pubic hair. Some women diet. I think my mother once referred to it as making sure the rug matched the curtains. 
Why? Well, Botox and facelifts are clearly not the only way women camouflage their true age or that they're not really blonde. And while not often advertised, pubic hair dye is an actual service that many hair salons offer. The concept is the same as dyeing the hair on your head, except it's your vulva. The possibilities are endless. You can choose from hot chocolate, cool blonde, amber flame, intense red, and for those really special occasions, carmine pink. And you can go the salon route, but for the DIY crowd, be aware that burns and allergic reactions can occur, especially if the dye goes beyond the mons. Case in point, one of my patients, 48-year-old Terry, called my office for an emergency appointment, but she wouldn't tell the receptionist what the problem was. I knew her really well, having delivered her three kids, and I knew she wouldn't ask for an emergency appointment unless something was really going on, so I told my receptionist just to have her come in. So when she walks in the door, it was obvious she was in a lot of pain. A quick exam revealed that her vulva was blistered, bright red, and so swollen she was unable to pee. She admitted that she was dyeing her pubic hair to match the hair on her head. My husband doesn't know I'm not a real blonde, she explained. Midway through the dye job, she got distracted and left it on too long. So I inserted a catheter, applied some burn salve, gave her some pain medication, and sent her home. Four weeks later, I saw her for a follow-up visit and was not surprised to see that she was a brunette, top and bottom. Moving on to genital piercing. Are you still with me? Okay. I happen to love a bauble as much as the next girl, but the idea of genital jewelry has never really appealed to me. Having said that, many women don't limit the holes in their body to their ears. Clitoral hood piercing is by far the most popular. I've also seen piercings of the inner and outer labia. The very brave pierce their clitoris. I once saw someone with a chain between a clitoral piercing and a labial piercing. I mean, talk about an accident waiting to happen. If you're curious why someone would pierce their clitoral hood, well, it's clearly not to show off a gift from a lover since no one gets to see it except the lover. Most women who pierce their genitals do so not for appearance as much as to improve sexual stimulation. Since orgasms occur in most women with clitoral stimulation, a clitoral hood piercing increases the chance of having an orgasm during vaginal intercourse. In surveys, some women reported having their first orgasm only after getting pierced. Those women evidently do not own vibrators. Unlike pubic hair removal, which has relatively few risks, women that pierce their genitals might run into some problems. For starters, even so-called professional piercers are often unregulated and therefore not required to know anything about anatomy or sterile technique. It's therefore no surprise that every year, a significant number of genital piercing ends disastrously due to serious infections, bleeding, nerve damage, or scarring. There's also reports of women who develop post-piercing lichen sclerosis, a chronic inflammatory skin condition. So if you decide to forge ahead, at a minimum, make sure the piercer is a member of the Association of Professional Piercers to assure that he or she is trained in sterile technique and knows basic first aid. Make sure the piercer wears gloves, uses a fresh needle, and cleans the area first with antiseptic. And avoid telling your mother forever. The ultimate complication of a clitoral piercing was presented at one of my medical conferences. And if you're a little squeamish or get faint at hearing medical things, you may want to skip ahead 30 seconds. Anyway, this woman was receiving oral sex. And when she orgasmed, her clitoral hood piercing got caught in her lover's teeth, causing her clitoris to partially tear off. 
Good news, though, her doctors were able to reattach the tissue using surgical glue, and it was actually totally functional a few months later. The after pictures looked pretty normal, and no, she did not reattach her jewelry. Moving on. Bovar tattoos. Bovar tattoos, while not as mainstream as hair removal, are accepted by teens, young women, and yeah, a lot of midlife women. Genital tattoos are usually placed on the mons after removal of pubic hair, but are also sometimes applied to the labia. I could do a whole podcast on vulvar tattoos I've seen. Some are purely decorative, but a surprising number offer helpful instructions, such as an arrow pointing to the clitoris with the words, lick here. As to why women do it, I have no idea, but I can tell you why it's risky. Pain aside, tattoos on the vulva present the same issues as tattoos on other parts of the body, including infection, scarring, and regret. The only thing less fun than getting a tattoo on the mons is removing a tattoo on the mons. However, unlike getting a tattoo on your arm, there is always the option of letting your pubic hair grow over, Ralph, I will love you forever, once Ralph is out of the picture. A study published in the Journal of Sexual Medicine in 2012 looked at sexual behavior and vulvar modification and found that women who had tattoos and piercings were more likely to have intercourse at an early age, more likely to have frequent intercourse, and more likely to have oral sex than women without embellishment. Just saying. Moving on. Next up is genital makeup. I'd be willing to bet that when your mother gave you your first lipstick, she did not mention that there was also makeup for your other lips. Vulvar makeup is essentially foundation that's intended to be applied to the vulva and labia. One such product promises to highlight, soften, and illuminate your intimate area, even your skin tone, and minimize the appearance of imperfections. Are you kidding? As to why women do it, well, I imagine for the same reason that women put makeup on their face, except the only way someone can see vulvar imperfections is if there's a gynecologic exam in progress. And I think I can safely assume that women who are applying vulvar foundation are not doing it to impress their gynecologist. As to why it's risky, can I change risky to silly? I mean, just as putting makeup on your face doesn't really make you look 10 years younger, applying makeup to your vulva is not going to work miracles either. Actresses doing a nude scene are exempt. They get to put makeup wherever they want. For those that aren't interested in making their genitals rosier, but are inexplicably compelled to make their genitals lighter, there are vulvar bleaching creams. I can't make this stuff up. It is normal for genital skin to be darker than other skin. Do not bleach your vulva. Just don't. And finally, vajazzling. If you've never heard of vajazzling, yes, it's a verb. Go ahead and put vajazzling in your search engine and check out the images. Very sparkly, very festive. If you are so inclined to vajazzle, simply remove your pubic hair and apply Savorsky crystals to your mons. The possibilities are endless. There are YouTube videos galore, which will instruct you just how to do it. It's relatively harmless, except for the scratching your partner will have to endure if they decide to rub up against you. Before I end this segment, I want to mention a multiple choice survey I did a few years ago about preferences when it comes to pubic hair styles, piercing, tattoos, etc. I surveyed over 1,000 women from ages 18 to 100 about their preferred pubic hair styles. Over 20% described their pubic hair as an overgrown forest. 45% said they were neatly trimmed. 
12% went with landing strip, and 22% opted for completely bare. When I filter the answers by age, it's clear that 20-year-olds are far more likely to remove it all. In my survey in women under the age of 30, 40% went bald and only 12% checked off overgrown forest. I also asked guys a few questions, starting with their preferred pubic hair style for their partner. 10% went with overgrown forest, 30% opted for neat and trimmed, 20% landing strip, 20% bald, 30% said, I really don't care. I'm just happy to be invited to the party. Now, the mathematicians among you have already figured out that the numbers add up to way more than 100, but that's because I let the guys check off more than one preferred hairstyle. I also asked men if they found a tattoo on a woman's genitals sexy. 13% said, absolutely. 35% said it was a turnoff. 52% said they didn't care and were just happy to be invited to the party. So there you have it. I've given you enough trivia for at least the next 10 cocktail parties. For part two of vaginal vanity, I'm going to talk about things like labiaplasty and other surgical procedures that women sign up for, but not right away. One can only take so much craziness at a time. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, and thank you for joining me. You will find lots more information in my inside information books available on amazon.com. And follow Francie as she navigates her way through vaginal dryness, hot flashes, and pretty much every menopausal symptom you can think of. No